0: Get into God's word. Father, you're good to us. We thank you for the Lord's day that we can come and we can sing about what you've done through your son, that Christ would die on a cross for my sins, for our sins. So that we might have eternal life, that we might have forgiveness, that we might have real life, an abundant life, and a life that could honor you. We thank you for the spirit that we sang about, and how the spirit empowers us us for life. And Lord, we confess that we often don't get it right. We confess that we need you, it's what the church is, it's a gathering of people who confess their need of Jesus, and worship you for who you are and what you've done. So, Lord, we thank you for the gospel, the good news. We thank you for a church body who comes and gathers and worships and gives of themselves and sets up on Sunday morning and tears down. And Thank you for the workers that are also serving in our kids' ministry, who serve our kids, that teach our kids the gospel. And thank you for a worship team who leads us. We thank you for the universal church that is meeting this morning all over the world, that is proclaiming your truth. And Lord, motivate us, work in us, and that we might share the glory of who you are to our neighbor who might need to know you. Lord, we thank you for a time together to open your word. Teach us this morning through your spirit. In Jesus' name. Amen. Well, kids ask the most interesting questions, don't they? They're trying to figure out the world, and so they're asking question upon question. If you've ever been around kids or you have your own kids, the young ones ask like 50 questions a day at least because they're trying to figure out the world, and it's really interesting when you have older kids and the younger kids are constantly doing that. It gets really interesting in your home. But kids ask some crazy questions, and as they grow up and maybe in your home, they've ask many questions about God but as they learn more about the world and learn more about God there are questions and they're often very honest questions. Let me give you a few questions that have been collected over the years. Jane asked this, in Sunday school they told us what you do, who does it when you're on vacation God? Anita says this, dear God is it true that my dad won't get into heaven if he uses his bowling words in our house? Dear God, is Reverend Co a friend of yours, or do you just know him from business? Did you really mean do unto others as they do to you? Because if you did, I'm going to fix my brother, Darla. Robert says this, Dear God, I'm an American. Who, what are you? Y'all are a rough crowd. <laughs> Dear God... I bet it's hard for you to love all of everybody in the whole world. We only have four people in my family, and I can never do it. Jane turns a little more serious with some of her disappointments. And she says this. Dear God, instead of letting people die and having to make new ones, why don't you just keep the ones you have? Maybe she just got a new sibling, I don't know. A little more serious. Dear Mr. God, this is Janet. I wish you would not make it so easy for people to come apart. I got three stitches yesterday and a shot. And last and maybe most serious, Daniel, age eight. Dear God, here's a poem for you. I love you because you give us what we need to live. But I wish you would tell me why you made it so we have to die. You know, if we're honest, even as adults, we have questions, don't we? We've lived life long enough to have questions about life, about death, about disappointment. What do you do when God disappoints you? When your expectations of God are not met? When you don't feel He has shown up in your life? When life has not turned out like you want it to turn out? There's some options you have in those moments that many people take. One of the options is just to believe or begin to believe that he's not really there. You could isolate yourself from the problem and pretend that it doesn't exist, but your faith will be superficial unless you really dive in. And that's the third option, just to press deeper. Maybe not press deeper into your questions, which are good, but pressing deeper into God and who he is and how he works. In John 11, Mary and Martha have a few questions for God as well. They have a few disappointments in Jesus' delay. You see, their brother, who's a friend of Jesus, is sick and then he dies and Jesus finally shows up and they have questions. Jesus, if you were here, our brother wouldn't be dead. You see, out of that question, Jesus gives us the fifth I am statement in the book of John. We've been in this series, the I am's of Jesus, who Jesus says that he is. I am the bread of life, so he's our sustenance. I am the light of the world, so I am the truth. And I give reality for what it really is, and I give a path. I am the door. I bring life in my pasture, and I am the good shepherd. And here, he's going to deal with death and life. When he comes to Mary and Martha, Martha specifically, and says, I am the resurrection and the life. Turn with me to John chapter 11. There's a Bible on the end of your row if you want to grab it. If you don't have one, some of the words will be up here. And he's, Jesus is out of this question and out of this situation of Lazarus' death. Jesus is going to reveal some incredible truths to hold on to when you are suffering, when you do have questions, when you are disappointed, when you've experienced loss, when you need renewal, when you don't really think that you can change that thing that keeps tripping you up, that sin that entangles you. Jesus has a word for us this morning. John 11, 1 through 16, and what I'm going to do this morning is I'm just going to kind of read through the passage and make some points and observations, and then we're going to hit three truths that are really incredible this morning in this text. So John 11, and let me read, and as I read, I'll, I may stop and, and give you a few thoughts. Now, a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, that's near Jerusalem, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. It was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair. That's about to happen. John's just giving you an update on who they are. Whose brother Lazarus was ill. So the sisters sent to him saying, Lord, of whom you love is ill. But when Jesus heard it, he said, the illness does not lead to death. Even though we know the rest of the story. I wonder what he's saying. For it is for the glory of God. Did you read that? It's for the glory of God, his illness. So that the Son of God may be glorified through it. It's a hard pill to swallow. Verse 5, now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. My anniversary is two weeks from now. That would be like me saying, I love you so much I'm going to forget your birthday." Or your, our anniversary, that too. That's the way they would feel hearing that statement. He stays two days longer? Why is he doing that? Why wouldn't he go to him? This is his friend. He's healed people he doesn't even know, but he stays two days longer. He's already said it's going to be for his glory. That's perplexing. Verse 7 Then after this, he said to the disciples, let us go to Judea again. This is where they want to stone him. This is closer to Jerusalem. The disciples said to him, Rabbi, the Jews were just now seeking to stone you. Are you going there again? They're concerned about his safety. And Jesus answered, are not there 12 hours in a day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble because he sees the light of the world. But if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. And after saying these things, he said to them, the disciples, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep. But I now go to awaken him. And look at the dullness still of the disciples. This is what we see all the way through the Gospels. We are often there as well. The disciples said to him, Lord, if, if he has fallen asleep, he will recover, meaning he's just asleep. And Jesus, spoken, but Jesus has spoken of his death, but they thought he meant he was taking rest. And then Jesus told them plainly, this is like, hey, dull-headed guys, Lazarus has died, and for your sake I am glad that I was not there I was glad that I was not there so that you may believe but let's go to him so Thomas called the twin said to the fellow disciples let us go also that we may die with him so they're thinking they're all going to get stoned by the people there because of what's going on so here's your idea that comes out of verses 1 through 16 Jesus delayed deliverances in our lives serve a purpose his delays often serve a purpose, and he tells us what the purposes were for Mary and Martha and the crowds. Why? For his glory and that they might believe. Look at verse 4 and look at verse 15. He gives two reasons why he delays, why effectively he lets Lazarus die. Now that's hard to get our minds around why he would do that. But you know, if you know the story, you know the rest of the story. And what happens? He stays two more days that he might be glorified and they might believe. I'm not going to get further into the story until we get there. But you've got to rest with that sometimes, don't you? Why isn't God doing what I want him to do? Why would my mom or my dad or my sister or my brother or a friend die of cancer or in a car wreck? Where was God? Those are honest questions. But in verse 15, he talks about their growth in belief, their faith. I want you to think about the history of the nation Israel. If you just want to walk through the Bible and you want to think about the delays in which people walked through by faith, I want you to think about... God coming to Abraham and promising him land seed and blessing Abraham didn 't see all of that. He had sons, Isaac and Jacob, and all of them were still awaiting a promise they served four hundred years in slavery, and all these promises had not come to pass Last night, we were watching season one uh, season one of the chosen anybody been watching the chosen? I think it was uh, I don't know which episode, seven or eight, with the woman at the well, and they revert back to Jacob's well, like a thousand years before that, fifteen hundred years before that, and you have this scene with Jacob at his well, and they're sojourning at that time at the well, and there's a person who lives there, and he's asking him about his God, like we serve Yahweh, we serve Adonai, and the guy wants to know more about this God and Jacob describes the history he describes what happened to his hip and how he wrestled with God and the man begins to laugh and he says let me get this straight you serve a God that you have to wait generations and generations for something to come to pass and he gave you a bum hip see there's often delays there's often trials and suffering and he goes why do you serve that God Why did you choose to serve that God? He goes, you don't understand. He chose us. He chose me. See, Jesus' delays, deliverances in our lives for his glory. And often our growth, you see it in Job, you see it in David. Remember David? I mean, what would you think if Samuel came and said, you're going to be king. God wants you to be king and you have to wait years for that. And you go through all kinds of trials and tribulations because Saul doesn't want to give up the ghost of the kingdom. What, what would your question be? I thought I was going to be king, and now I'm going through trial and tribulation and suffering. And we just walked through the book of Habakkuk, where Habakkuk says, Okay, God, where are you at? You see, oftentimes in our lives, God's people experience God's delays. But it's for our growth. Think about the spoiled kid. You know, not your kid, but the other kid. The spoiled kid... The, the helicopter parents, not you, um, right? And, and what happens with those kids? Because mom and dad protect them so much. You know, they get a boo-boo and they get got uh, to get pulled out of the game. And they can't work through problems. And they go to school and they, they're like age 10 and they're still tattling because they know mom and dad will take their side whether they did it or not. So there's this overprotection often of children, but what's the result? They haven't had to gone through, go through anything hard at all in their life. They protect them from any kind of germ or anything. And it stunts their growth. And the truth of the matter is, is that oftentimes the thing that grows us the most is the disappointment, is the pain that we have to walk through oftentimes. And this is how God is working, this is how Jesus is working with his disciples right here. He go, we go through pain to grow us spiritually, to get us thicker spiritual skin, to increase our faith and dependence on Him. It's not pleasant. It's not pleasant to walk through pain, to have questions, and yet this is often what it takes in our own lives. There's another thing going on here with Mary and Martha. They have a limited perspective, don't they? They don't know what's going to happen, they don't know what's coming next. You ever been on I 45? And you're stuck in traffic trying to get back from Houston. And people are outside of their cars waiting. They can't see what's coming. You're on your phone trying to figure it out. And it's frustrating because you have a limited perspective. You don't know how long you're going to be here. Google Maps isn't really going to help you. It's going to give you an estimated time frame. But that estimated time frame is just going up. But what if you, at the same time, what if you were in a plane coming from Dallas? And you were coming and you were touching down... You're on the descent, and you can see I-45. And you're about to land, but you look down at I-45, and you see this little wreck. You have a different perspective, don't you? And you see little humans outside of their cars, but you can see something they can't see. You can see that the wreck is clearing, and they're about to be able to move forward. See, Mary and Martha and us, we often have a limited perspective on what's going around on around us because we can look back at our life sometimes and we can see how God was working in and through that situation. We can see some of those purposes, not always, but we have a limited perspective and yet we can trust in our God. But we got to deal with the issue of suffering a little bit here. We could do a long series on suffering, right? But that's a big question that we all have. Why doesn't God show up? I want to give you just a couple of thoughts about suffering for a minute. Because God meets us in our suffering. He's not, well it's about my glory and your growth, like it. See when we walk through it, it's painful and it's hard and we can't see the other side, can we? I want to tell you a couple of things about suffering. See first thought is this, suffering, one, is a result of the curse of death because of our sin. See, we are guilty, and we are guilty not just because Adam and Eve fell into sin, because we sin as well, and that produces some things. If you read your Bible and you just get to Genesis 3, it produces some things on the earth. It corrupts the earth, and so we have catastrophes and natural disasters and disease and pandemics and arctic blasts. I don't know if it's getting colder or warmer. I think it's getting warmer. Today, but a few months ago I was wondering. But that's why we have some of these things. Suffering is a result of death and our sin. And and the reason, the other reason there is evil amongst ourselves is because of this sin. We live in a fallen world. Of course we are sinful. Of course we hurt other people. Of course, there's systemic sin that reeks everywhere in our nation, in our world, because of sin. But here's the interesting thing. Here's the wrong assumption we make, and you need to catch this. We don't make that assumption. We assume we deserve good all the time, all day. We deserve comfort all the time, all day as innocent people. But the Bible doesn't depict us as innocent people, it depicts us as fallen sinners, and there are consequences to that. Ultimately, there are consequences of death but there are also consequences living in a fallen world and so we should not assume we deserve good as innocent people see it's interesting because I don't think the Bible really wrestles with the problem of evil it makes sense that we wrestle with the problem of evil from our vantage point but the Bible doesn't really wrestle with the problem of evil so much as it marvels at the amazing grace that God gives every day to you and me as guilty people the fact that you woke up this morning and you breathed air is a grace from God the fact that you came out and there was sunshine the fact that there's food on your plate the fact that you have the ability through God's spirit to repent for your sins that he provides for you listen it's a grace everything that you have is a grace from God Anything above the evil that exists in our world, is any goodness that comes to you is a grace from God. Do you see it that way? Do you see your life as a grace that God gives you? It's interesting because in Luke chapter 13, Jesus says some hard things. If he had a PR director that cared about the way people perceive Jesus, that PR director would have some work to do in Luke chapter 13. In Luke chapter 13, they come to him and they're trying to entrap him and they give him an example and say, hey, uh, just the other day, Pilate massacred a bunch of people. Why did he do that? See, the common thought of the day was, is that the people who are really bad, they're the ones that massacres happen to. And you know what Jesus says? Do you think the Galileans, the, the other Galileans around Galilee, aren't also just as much offenders as those people? He didn't really answer the way the PR director wanted him to. And not only that, he gives another... Jesus gives an example. So what do we do with the massacre? They wanted him to say it was because those people were evil. They were more evil than others. They were more sinful. He doesn't do that. And then Jesus gives the example of the Tower of Siloam, which was in Jerusalem, that had fallen on 18 people. And he does the same thing. And he says... We're not other people in Jerusalem, just as much of an offender. And in both cases, he does this. He calls all the people that are listening to him to repent, or they would end up like them. And so, what, what, what he's getting at is that we all are in this sea, effectively. We're all in this sea of guilt. And if God chooses to pull any out, it is his mercy and his grace. In any situation. That's the point that Jesus is making. All the more reason to repent and believe. Hard truth from Jesus in Luke 13. See, we're playing with house money. You believe that in the way that you live? You're playing with house money. God's grace allows you to get up in the morning and breathe and live. And so anything beyond that is His grace. You can kind of think of it this way. If you decided that you were going to go burn down your house because you wanted the insurance money and you got caught and you go before the judge and you're trying to get the insurance money when they know that you burned down the house you're not getting it and if you say to the judge it's your fault it's your fault that you're not allowing me to get the insurance money i don't have a house i'm homeless does it work that way it doesn't work that way And that's what we do with God. See, here's what we do oftentimes with God is that we put God on trial. We put God on trial for our suffering, assuming that we're innocent. But we're guilty. But here's the beauty. That was a long explanation. That's one point. Let me give you the beauty, though. We are guilty, but he still gives more grace through his son. See, God in his love and mercy has reversed the curse That's the beauty of the gospel, that he's reversed the curse by suffering in our place. He's died in our place, and healing begins with him canceling the debt of sin in our life. That's the gospel. That's the good news. And now, because of that, God can now use suffering, he can use disappointment redemptively for his glory and our good. And maybe you say, well, what about 9-11? What about the Holocaust? What about pandemic, what about all these things? Revert to the first thing that I told you about suffering. You got all that? I want to recommend a book to you. It's called Confronting Christianity. Rebecca McLaughlin. It's a great book. Deals with like 12 hard questions that every Christian should answer and needs to answer. There's a teenage version as well. I would encourage you to read it. And in the 11th chapter, she deals with the issue of suffering. And she comes to this text and it's a really great read. I would encourage you to read it. I just gave you a five minutes, maybe more. I don't know how long that was. There's a lot more. But here's the thing. Maybe you're saying, okay, I get it, pastor, that God can choose to use suffering and hurt for his glory and even good. But what about where I'm at in it? Does he not care where I'm at in it? It hurts. So what, did he, what does Jesus do with that in this situation? See, there's something key in this text that you can't miss as Jesus interacts with the disappointment and with the hurt of Martha and Mary. Because all they see is their, their brother dead. Jesus enters into that. See, your second idea is this, that Jesus... Meets us where we're at in our disappointments, in our suffering, in our hurts. He meets us there. And what I want you to see about Mary and Martha before we read it is this. Is they both have the same question. They both have the same question. Where were you at? And he treats them both a little bit differently. And cares for them where they're at. Look at it as I pick it up here. Verse 17. Verse 17. So now Jesus came and he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. In Jewish culture, after three days, they had this kind of weird th- thought um, that the, the body was dead, but the soul was still like hovering around. It's, it's not a biblical thought, but it's a folky kind of theology that they had. But um, in the first three days, that the soul would actually hang around just in case there was resurrection. But on the fourth day, like you're dead, dead, dead. There's no chance. For resurrection. He's going to say it later again. John's going to bring up four days again. Four days. So this is done. He's gone. Bethany was near Jerusalem about two miles off. And many of the Jews had come to Martha. Verse 19. And Mary. To console them and concerning their brother. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming. She went. This is Martha. Type D personality. High D. She went and met him. But Mary remained seated in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you'd been here, my brother would have not died. But even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. There's belief there. Do you see it? Verse 23, Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. And Martha, the Bible, um, the Bible college student, I guess, Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Martha affirms the theology of resurrection. She believes it. She has her doctrine right. She believes the doctrinal statement, but Jesus said this to her. No, 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 I am the resurrection, and I am the life. Whoever believes in me, though he may die, yet shall live, and everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God who is coming into the world. You see, Mary knows her theology, but look at what Jesus does in her disappointment. He not only affirms her theology, but he says this, I'm the resurrection, I'm the life. So not only does Jesus bring about resurrection, not only is Jesus the source of resurrection, but he embodies resurrection and he embodies life. And it's great to have right theology on a piece of paper, but that theology needs to point to a person of Jesus, to know him and who he is. When he says, I am the resurrection and the life, I bring about life, and I bring about resurrection. Perhaps he is thinking and encouraging her about her brother, but he's speaking to her. And so what he's saying to her in her suffering, in her disappointment, in this delay, what he's saying to her, Martha, this is pretty radical, Martha, what you need right now is not what you think you need. What you want right now And bringing your brother back is not the most important thing. It's not the thing you need most. The most important thing that you need is me. That's what Jesus is saying. And that's what Jesus is saying to us. In disappointment, in suffering, the thing you need the most is Jesus. This is the answer. Jesus gives her. He doesn't fix her problem. He comforts her with her real need, to point to her real need. Listen, if your right doctrine is just a classroom exercise, you need right doctrine. We need to study the word more. We need to know more at this church. We need to understand rightly who God is and how God relates to us in suffering. We've got to have right theology. But it leads us somewhere. It leads us to knowing Christ. That's where it's meant to lead. And I promise you, even if you do have right doctrine, I promise you there's going to be a time where you're dealing with a situation in your life that that doctrine needs to lead you to the feet of Jesus. And he will often use pain and hardship to get you there. As he is here. But look at Mary. So... He gives her the answer that she needs, which is him. But look at Mary. Similar response, same thing. When she had said this, she went and called. Verse 28, her sister Mary saying in private, the teacher is here and is calling for you. And when she heard this, she rose quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet come into the village, but he was still in the place where Martha had met him, when the Jews who were with her in the house consoling her. So she's crying, The crowd's crying, so Mary rose quickly to go out. They followed her, supposing she was going to the tomb to weep there. Now when Mary, verse 32, check this out. Now when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet saying to him, same thing Martha said, Lord, if you'd been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping, this is the distinction, she's weeping, and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was greatly, what does it say? He was greatly moved. And in his spirit, and he was greatly troubled. And he's going to say that again. And he said, where have you laid him? And they said, Lord, come and see. Shortest verse in the Bible. Jesus weeps. Let me ask you a question. How long do you think it was after this that Jesus raises Lazarus up. Looks like the same day. Looks like right after this. Men, think about this. Couldn't Jesus have just said, Martha, get it together. Mary, stop being so emotional. He could have done that. I'm going to give you the solution. I'm about to let, raise your brother. He could have done that. He didn't do that with either one of them. He entered into their disappointment. He entered into their pain. And he taught them in it, but he entered into it. You see, Jesus is fully God. And he's going to do things sovereignly for his glory and our good. And I know after the first point you're thinking, well, that doesn't sound real personal to me. But look at what he does here. He's also fully human. And he's entering into their disappointment. He's entering to the delay. He's entering, where, meeting them where they are. That's your Savior. He's fully God. And He's fully man. And He enters into that even though He's about to raise the brother up. He's compassionate. He weeps for His friend. He sympathizes, the Bible says, with our weaknesses. Yet without sin. Because He's gone through the heavenly places. Because He's risen. That He's gentle and lowly. Come to me. And I will give you rest. This is what he's being for them. Let me ask you a question about the people around you. Do you afford your spouse? And and I want to say this to everybody, but I, I specifically want the men to hear this. I need to hear this. Do you afford your spouse and your kids and your brothers and sisters in Christ in this room, in your church, the space? that Jesus afforded Mary and Martha in their hurt? Or do you just give them solutions? Are you patient with people's messes? The Bible says that we owe each other this debt of love to outdo one another. So if you're competitive, you outdo one another. And caring for one another. Are you emotionally available to bear the burdens of others? Start in your home, start at work, start in your church. Are you emotionally available? What a great learn for us as a church in this text. But what is he going to do with Lazarus? You've mentioned it. You see this compassionate, kind of meek and mild, gentle and lowly Jesus, but you're about to see a warrior, men. You're about to see a warrior. He jumps in the ring with death. Look at it. Verse 38. He's already said that he was deeply moved and his spirit was greatly troubled. And you get to verse 38 and he says, Then Jesus, deeply moved again, do you see it? Came to the tomb. It was a cave and a stone lay against it. Jesus said, Take away the stone. Foreshadowing. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be an odor, for he has been dead, there it is again, four days Jesus said to her, did I not tell you that, that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? Remember earlier, Jesus says, I'm going to get glory here. You're going to see me for who I am. You're going to believe. So they took away the stone. And Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I think that you, that you have heard me. I knew that you always know that you always hear me. But I said this on the account of the people standing around. That they may believe that you sent me. Verse 43. When he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out by the word of his power. Think Genesis. That God creates out of the word of his power, and he raises out of the word of his power. The man who died came out, his hands and feet bound with linen strips, and his face wrapped with a cloth. Jesus said to him, "Unbind him and let him go. See, the idea of being deeply moved and troubled, The word picture, the the picture that you see in the language here is like a horse snorting. Have you ever been around any horses? When they snort, they're mad, they're riled up. He's riled up. I don't think he's riled up at Mary and Martha. He's just shown them compassion. He's just entered into their trouble. I think he's riled up because of death. And what death? Because of sin and because of what death does. And so what does he do? He gets in the ring. If you know Rocky, this is where you start the music, all right? He gets into the ring, and 11 chapters, rounds later, you get to the end of John, and he deals the final death blow on the cross there, but he gets in the ring here with death. And Mary is thinking, man, it's going to be a stench, but he turns this stench of death into life and Lazarus comes out by the word his very words do you notice all the way through the bible god uses his word his very word to create to bring about life he breathes life into you the same is true in the gospel where god brings life to the stench of death in our lives he makes all things new. See, Jesus goes to the grave and he rolls the stone away in this situation. And they're expecting the stench of death. But there's life and he raises. This is it's interesting in the book of John. We've been talking about the seven Iams, but if you know the book of John, there are not just seven I ams, there are seven signs. That Jesus is demonstrating who he is to the people through signs and signs are meant to point to something they're meant to point to the truth of who Jesus is and this right here is the last sign in the book of John it should leave no doubt about who he is and what he's capable of that he is resurrection and he is life and it's meant to show the people who he is but here's a question for you or some thoughts for you as it relates to it. Here's your last thought. See, Jesus has the final word on death. And he has the final word on life. And listen, sometimes, sometimes, you think about your life and you think about the disappointments, you think about loss in your life. Sometimes God's God lets us see the stone that's rolled away, doesn't he? He lets us see him heal people who are sick. He lets us see things happen in our lives that we can't even explain. He lets us see that sometimes. Not all the time. The suffering, the pains, the hurt. And sometimes he lets us see the reasons and the purposes later. And sometimes we never see that stone in our lives rolled away. But one day, one day, The final answer of suffering and disappointment will be dealt with when Jesus returns. That's our hope. Our hope is in the death and resurrection of Jesus because it provides us the same hope that ultimately when we die, which we will, we will be with him, we'll be raised with him. So this is what we see of Jesus and what he does with Lazarus. You see, Jesus goes into the stench of sin and death. And he speaks life into our spiritual death and brings new life. Do you know that message? Do you know that truth? It's the only way it works. We're going to sing in just a minute, in Christ alone. It's the only way that works. For the man who claimed to be God, who claimed to be the resurrection and life, raised Lazarus up and then raised up himself. Voluntarily, where the Father raises him to life and he sits and stands at the right hand of the Father. That is your hope. That is my hope. Do you know that message? It is your only shot. It's the only shot for forgiveness. It's your only shot for eternal life. Jesus. At my house, over the last few years, my wife is a big reader. And she enjoys reading the kids' books. you got to read the books before you watch the movies. I'm like, just show me the movie. Lord of the Rings was that way in our home. My kids are excited, like, yes, we finally get to watch the movies. But I love Tolkien and the way he weaves a story because he takes the people in his story through, right? He takes them through the darkness. He takes them around it. He takes them through the darkness, through suffering, through loss, through pain, to victory. And this is the way life is, but at the end of the Lord of the Rings, where the ring is destroyed, on Mount Doom, Sam wakes up from his sleep, and he's surprised that he's alive, and he's surprised and he sees Gandalf, right? Then he says, is everything sad going to come untrue? Is everything sad going to come untrue? Are broken things going to be fixed. What an incredible question. You see one day Jesus will make everything sad come untrue. Do you believe that? There are days where I say come quickly Lord Jesus for that. But until then, until that day there is still hope. Until that day the Holy Spirit you know Jesus indwells you and it can bring change. Do you really believe God can change things in your life? Do you believe God can change things about the person sitting next to you in their life? That's a fundamental question, especially as believers, if you've been a believer for, for any amount of time. There's the unspoken question: Do I really believe God is at work? Do I really believe that He can remake this in my wife? in my life, in my spouse's life, in my children. He is the resurrection and the life. And that's not just for the future. He wants to continue to do work in your life today. To bring about and remake who you are and how you live. Do you believe that he can do that? This is the hope that we have in the gospel. This is the hope that the Spirit of God provides in our lives, that we can change. But one day, Jesus will make everything sad come untrue. No more, no more delays and deliverance. No more disappointments. No more death. No more suffering. No more tears. He will make everything sad come untrue. Let's believe that today. Father, we're thankful for your word. We thank you for the way in which you teach us through your word. With this story. Or we confess that we're often right where Mary and Martha are. Asking, where are you at? Why didn't you do this in our lives? Why didn't you do that? But you're there, just as you were there for them. So help us trust in Jesus, who's compassionate, who walks with us. And who took death on, and sin on, and got in the ring with death and sin, and came out victorious. So Lord, our trust and our hope is in you. Work in our hearts this morning, in Jesus' name, amen.